You're listening to a special Getting Smart podcast mini-series about the Nevada Succeeds Inspire Ed Fellowship. I'm your host, Shani Carruthers. Let me tell you a bit about Nevada Succeeds. Nevada Succeeds is a Las Vegas-based education nonprofit focused on empowering systems transformation through educator impact policy and design thinking. Dedicated to building a statewide ecosystem, Nevada Succeeds launched an Inspire Ed Fellowship in July 2020 in partnership with Las Vegas Sands. The goal of the fellowship was to empower educational practitioners to investigate Nevada education challenges and use design thinking to develop actionable plans to determine solutions. Using the Singapore education system and best practice sites across the country as a guide, fellows engaged in deep conversation around collaboration, student achievement, and professional growth for educators. Keeping equity at the forefront of all their work, fellows were given the opportunity to lead, the support to discover innovative solutions to educational obstacles, and space to shift their practice and learning from insight to impact. We've been honored to partner with Nevada Succeeds on some of this work and are excited for you to hear these conversations with some of the many key players in the initiative. On the final episode of our Nevada Succeeds series, we're joined by Janine Collins, Executive Director of Nevada Succeeds, as well as Dr. Marion Smith, Superintendent in beautiful Summit County, Colorado. His racial equity adaptive leadership real framework was key to the Nevada Succeeds Fellowship Program design. We're also joined by Dr. Caleb Rashad, Creative Director of the High Tech High Graduate School of Education, and his work husband, Eric Shigala, founding principal of the Vista Innovation and Design Academy, VITA. Caleb and Eric have been hard at work on a new initiative called Unlock and have had an instrumental influence on the mindset and methodology of the Nevada Succeeds Inspire Ed Fellowship. Let's jump in. All right, uh, Janine Collins, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Great to have That's you fun. on again. Thank you. So nice to see you. Uh, Janine leads this awesome organization called Nevada Succeeds. And as she was uh, cooking up their best in class leadership development program, she got advice from uh, some of the coolest people on the planet. And we've assembled them here on the podcast today. Uh, I want to welcome some, uh, some dear friends and smart people. Um, Janine, I'm going to let you do the honors and let's, let's start with uh, Dr. Marion Smith and tell us um, how you guys connected and uh, what, uh, what you may have picked up from Dr. Smith. Well, Dr. Smith and I actually go way back. We were classroom teachers together at uh, Spring Valley High School in the Clark County School District, and I caught wind of a pretty brilliant English teacher up the hall, <laughs> and as a new teacher, wanted to go find the other really cool, great teachers on campus, and uh, found, found Dr. Smith. And uh, over the years, we've had this uh, a really wonderful friendship and collegial uh, uh, partnership, um, challenging each other's assumptions, uh, helping each other uh, to quote uh, a phrase he uses a lot, learn and unlearn and relearn together. And, uh, you know, his, his trajectory spans far beyond the classroom. And when I found myself in a, in, a, in a leadership role where I had the opportunity to kind of make something from nothing um, at a really unique moment, I knew that uh, Marion's work 
was authentic, um, intellectually challenging, and personally transformative. And I said, well, now's the time. So uh, that's my connection to Dr. Smith. <laughs> um, yeah. Marion, we're, we're super glad to have you on the, uh, on the podcast. Um, you, you've worked in some big districts and small districts. Uh, you're now that you're the superintendent in Summit County. That might be the prettiest district in America. Um, but you, you also spend a bunch of time in our, uh, in our home territory in uh, Western Washington, working in the Puget Sound uh, ESD with John Welch, right? Yes, and so no, I appreciate it. So thank you all for the opportunity to be here today. Um, for those of you that may be able to see me eventually, I look a little bit, um, I'm much older than I look. And so <laughs> I, I've lived so many different lives. And so as Janine pointed out, began my career in the Clark County School District. So student teacher administrator there, spent a little bit of time in Philadelphia as a school leader, then spent the last nine years in the Puget Sound area working right. in school districts there, Seattle Public Schools, the Kent School District, Puget Sound ESD, took a, took a stab at working in the ed tech sector, um, and now serve as the proud superintendent of Summit School District, as you said, Tom, in one of the most beautiful places in the United States of America, about 9,700 feet in the mountains in Summit County, Colorado. So we're doing some extremely transformative work and look forward to talking a little bit about that and how I've been able to work and collaborate with Janine and Nevada Succeed. Uh, Marion, Janine and I really appreciate your uh, racial equity adaptive leadership framework. Where, where'd that come from? What's it for? How should we use it? No, absolutely. And so back in 2019, I founded an educational consulting company called Educate to Liberate Consulting. Um, with one of my colleagues that I met and worked with during my time in the Pacific Northwest. And um, I am a critical pedagogy and critical race theory scholar practitioner. So that is my scholarship um, and aligned myself with another colleague who was interested in that work in addition to adaptive leadership. And so we continued our collaboration together. We continued to research, we continued to provide professional learning and then what surfaced was this racial equity adaptive leadership framework. And it brings together two bodies of work. First is really having a deep understanding around critical race theory. Um, as we know, critical race theory is a framework, um, a legal movement that really tries to focus on transforming the relationship and the interplay between race, power, and the law. And so we started there and then his background was adaptive leadership. So we're familiar with the work of Heifetz and Linsky's um, technical leadership, adaptive leadership. How do we thrive in situations where there may not be easy answers? And so we said, how do we bring those two together? The adaptive aspects of leadership also with a deep understanding of the world in which we live in, because we know that leadership is not void of the context the social emotional context, the historical context, the racial context of the world in which we live. And so we developed the racial equity adaptive leadership framework. And that focuses on um, how do we, I would say, how do we develop the habits of mind and the critical leadership practices to really disrupt and dismantle those inequitable systems, policies, practices, and procedures by moving forward for evolutionary processes 
um, the reflective process, the relational process, the restorative process, and the reimaginative process. And so in a nutshell, it is all about how do leaders understand who they are, um, who they are um, intellectually, who they are spiritually, who they are ethnically and racially, and how that situates themselves in the world. And then how do they bring this, this revolutionary mindset to the work with evolutionary practices. And so that's the best way to describe the framework. And we've been providing professional learning in this space to individuals who really want to transform the work um, and really engage in those transformative, courageous conversations to really do just that, to disrupt and dismantle those inequities that we see in our system and have a process for which to do it. That was a beautiful summary, Marianne. Um, Janine, what, what of that framework was um, really resonated most with you? And maybe you could just underscore some of the, the obvious reasons you wanted to incorporate this into the Nevada Succeeds Fellowship. Well, I think anytime we have this incredible opportunity to, well, we were going to travel to Singapore <laughs> to actually um, uh, get inside uh, their their systems and structures around educator development, their very robust career ladder, kind of look at the ways in which uh, they are intentional about investing in educational outcomes. Um, but, you know, something that obviously we all recognize is that you can go and you can learn and you can see. And we did that visual, uh, uh, virtually uh, instead of in person due to COVID. Um, but really it's about how we're gonna make sense of uh, what is potentially inspiring or useful to us back in our context. And I just felt like it was obviously very critically important to center students and members of our community who, furthest from opportunity in whatever design process we were going to undertake. And so, you know, Marion said a lot there. I will also say what was really brilliant about our partnership was that he was able to empower us with some very tangible tools to help our fellows walk through thinking about uh, uh, challenges in their context so that we were really thinking about uh, doing our design thinking and innovation work with um, an equity LASIK. Yeah, I thank you. I That's really what I appreciate most about Dr. Smith. He, he's a a scholar, but he, as he said, a scholar practitioner, and he's had the the chance um, east coast to west coast and big districts and small to uh, to apply this, and and so lots of practical wisdom that he was able to share with uh, the fellows uh, almost every week um, this year. So, Marianne, thank you for that. Uh, next, I want to turn to Dr. Caleb Rashad, uh, creative director at High Tech High. He's a He's our, three, our first three-peat guest. Caleb, good yo, to have yo, you on. Up, fam? <laughs> Tom, thanks for having me again, brother. Appreciate you. And Eric Shigala is the uh, founding director at uh, Vista Innovation uh, Design Academy, Vida, in uh, the Vista Unified. It might be the coolest middle school in America. Yeah, I um, like that, Tom. You're buttering me up. Eric, no, Eric, it's uh, you're a perennial on our list of Schools you got to visit, uh, widely respected as uh, one of America's great um, innovators as a leader, but uh, innovative campus. Um, and love the fact that um, that you've hooked up with uh, Dr. Rashad 
to create um, Unlocked. Is that right? Caleb, uh, you want to tell about Unlocked? What well, is Unlocked? Well, for the for the most part, Eric is like my work husband. We, you know, <laughs> somehow we ran across each other. Actually, it was through our, our mutual friend, Sonia Risley, um, who was the chief brilliant engineer, architect, designer of Design 39 um, here, here in San Diego. Which and, is our favorite K-8 school in America. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I saw this big, handsome blonde. I'm like, who is that guy? And I go over and I introduce myself to him. And I'm like, what do you do? And we've been in love ever since. And we've been just like, um, just, you know, we're school principals. We're like practitioner folks. I just love like all that soulful wisdom that we just heard from uh, Dr. Marion Smith there. It's like, I, I am like, like so hungry to hear more and dig, uh, dig more deeply into that because there's a lot of resonance there. But Eric and I both, uh, we just love like bringing people together around big ideas and it doesn't have to be our ideas. Um, so we like kind of fell in love with design. We fell in love with equity work and justice work and um, making school suck less for young people, making <laughs> suck less for the adults who have to, you know, oversee kids and supervise them and learn alongside them. So then we just started thinking like, not just for our own schools, but how do we support other schools and how do we support each other? How do we build innovation, equity-driven, creative networks of schools where folks feel safe to take risks and they can do that together? We always have felt like if you want to have a sustained sort of movement, you need to build it from the ground up. And so it's like a blockchain with like social innovation. <laughs> Janina, it sort of goes without saying, but what, what is it you loved about Eric and Caleb and why do you want to get them involved? Well, you know, um, <laughs> it does go without saying, right? Uh, uh, when I was able to connect with Caleb, I think very early on in our conversation, he was able to point me to a couple of things. And the most important one was probably this idea of really uh, coming at the work not in a vacuum, but recognizing the community within which this work was going to be happening and how to engage the community as part of our learning process and how to help and how to really create the authentic space for the learning that we do with the community to inform <laughs> what we do. So not just trying to like cajole people down this path of we have this great idea, but how do we really um, move learning forward together and how might uh, human-centered design, equity-focused design be uh, a framework for us to do that. And so, you know, Caleb really, I think I reached out to Caleb as like a design thinking expert. And I think early in the conversation, he's like, no, you enough, you know enough to do that. He's like, you got to think about how you're doing it. And um, that really shaped, I think, I think that was a, something that really stuck in my mind, it infused, it, cha it challenged and changed the way our conversations evolved. And both Caleb and Eric, I think, um, you know, Eric's, Eric's influence with what boots on the ground, the kinds of learning that he was able to share with me that happen organically at his school, um, you know, gave us, gave me language to also kind of say, wow, you know, we can maybe come out of this conversation of, you know, but will the achievement data go up? And we can maybe pull this back and hold off on that, that as the essential outcome right now and say, 
what would it look like for young people to do cool, real work that matters, that is scholarly, creative, community changing. And, and I have to tell you that I think it was in the hearts and minds of all of the fellows that came into our work and to be able to kind of give that language um, throughout our learning, I think has only spurred the belief and also the desire for us to lean in with more humility and more curiosity as the work transcends, you know, the boundaries of our fellowship timeline. Eric, at, at um, Vita and, and also on the uh, Unlocked website, you talk about human-centered and equity-focused design. Uh, maybe you could recap for us. What is that? So we really like back when Vita, we, so our, our little origin story real quick, Tom, is we came into a school called Washington Middle School and we have a, a true story of school transformation, same kids in the building, same buildings, same adults, same teachers, and really like created a new hope and opportunity in the community. And at the time, this goes back eight years ago for planning purposes. And, you know, equity wasn't like super cool to be talking about um, back then. And so we were using design thinking, which was fairly novel at that time within education still. And what we fell in love with was the, the deep empathetic work, like getting to know, like walking down to the 7-Eleven on the corner and finding out from them, like what they thought about the school, talking to alumni, connecting with parents, students, and really like listening and hearing that school had been done to generations of students in this neighborhood. And so with that, like then it evolved into, hey, you know, equity work and you can design for equity. You can also, um, Caleb always brings up the, the notion of every system is designed perfectly to get the results that it gets. And so we really like, as a bunch of white people in a predominantly non-white school, we really started thinking to make sure that we weren't leading with our own biases in the design, that just because we thought we were being empathetic, like that doesn't automatically mean that you're being equitable. And so for us, it's a really, really good place to be at to, to think about the human-centered equity-focused design and keeping that at the center of what we're doing so it's not just us thinking we know what's best. Maybe as a, um, as, as a head of school, what are a couple of practical ways that that idea of human-centered equity-focused design, um, give us a couple of practical examples of how, how does that play out in your in your schedule and your supports and what kind of instruction you want to see happening in the classroom. So first thing that came out of that type of work for us, equity focused human centered design was the idea that all the America is fantastic at taking poor schools and levying on top of them, things that we think are important for kids like intervention. Yeah. You'll do more math. You'll do more English. You'll do more BS. Let's increase right. the BS. And so what this, this opportunity, what the insights that came to us were is all that needs to take a total backseat and engagement was going to become our first intervention. Because what we're hearing from the students in the neighborhood is this is something that had been done to them, but instead they wanted to do something. Yeah. And so that then feeds into the pedagogy. So that once you have that driver, then you can design a ped pedagogy around that. And then once you have the pedagogy, 
then you can design a schedule. So we get, you know, like the high tech, high network and design 39 that we were talking about before pre pandemic, thousands of visitors a year. And they come often with a checklist like, okay, so we need your master schedule. We want your bell schedule. We want this, 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 because if we take those things and if we replicate them here, then surely we'll get what you have. And we always do, no, 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 no. You got to figure stuff out first. And so people even come like, hey, we want like the two hour version of design thinking for schools so that we can go and we can do it too. Like we, we don't say that anyone should do design thinking, human centered, like that is a great process to figure out what it is that you should do. And what's cool about our story, I think, is that we use that process. It just so happened that turned into our pedagogy. Oh, uh, Marion, I'd love to have you um, talk about what, what does this mean at a system level? You, you uh, talked to the Nevada Succeeds fellows uh, many times this year about system design for equity and, and justice. Um, tell us about that as a mindset and a skill set for system heads. No, I appreciate that, Tom. And I chuckle with that because oftentimes when you think about systems level work, it oftentimes can come off as being very sterile. Um, and as Eric pointed out, um, oh, if you just give us these particular tools and strategies and resources, we can replicate it and then we can grow it to scale. Um, and so in my work um, with Nevada Succeeds and in my work as a systems level leader, um, the first thing that we talk about is context matters immensely. I'll say that yeah. again. Context matters immensely. And so there are a variety. And isn't that, uh, Marion, isn't that true? Not, not only for a system head, but for a kid, right? That Absolutely. We know, we know that context matters a lot, whether you're talking about one experience for one child or whether you're talking about Summit County schools, right? Absolutely. And I think that's oftentimes the message that is missed in a lot of the work that we do yeah. because Oftentimes we hear the language around best practices. And the question that I pose in my work is best practices for whom? And so who is actually being served well, who is not yeah. being served well, and what can we do? And there's a lot of research out there around, quote unquote, the best practices that we know right now to move forward. But the, the research is extremely limited around how do we focus on implementation of these, quote unquote, best practices that are if we say culturally responsive, or um, as both Caleb and Eric talked about, we're listening to the people in the room, we're listening to our scholars, we're listening to the community, and we're actually taking their feedback, and we're designing um, something that's responsive to the unmet needs um, or the um, barriers that we're seeing there. And so that's been my work and how I work with teams here um, in our schools to really transform um, how we're thinking about the work. I like to say that COVID-19 has given us the opportunity to be able to do that. And I just shared this example with you is, I remember it very vividly. It was March 13th, 2020, when everything across the country, give or take a day or so, where right. everything shut down in K through 12 education. And the very next Monday, we had most of our school districts, I do believe there's about 13 or 14,000 school districts across the United States right now, um, that pivoted to some form of online learning, whether they have the resources or not. So that tells me 
that those who are leading K through 12 education, those who are a part of K through 12 education, we've always had the ability to make quick changes. We just haven't done it before. And so it prompted this um, pandemic for us to say, we can no longer do X, Y, and Z. And 48 hours later, we were doing something entirely different. So my work system-wide has been around how do we take that mindset of being able to disrupt and dismantle and challenge and um, work on ways to really think differently about the work and how do we build the adult capacity to be able to implement that in ways that are responsive to our population that we have. Yeah, love that. Caleb, um, you, you talk about creative leadership. Um, wh what do you think that is and why, why is it more important than ever? Mm. Um, well, I think, you know, I, I love what um, Dr. Smith was just kind of laying down um, about context matters immensely. Like what is happening in the community and what you see yeah. in this country is you hear young people uh, and people across race and gender and difference and age um, calling out um, things that have been historically unjust um, in all of our institutions, yeah. and particularly in education. And the funny thing is we kind of know it, man. We, we've always kind of known it. And so um, to me, as we think about, I mean, I almost don't even talk about creativity right now very much because you could talk about creati creativity and still like generate inequities. Yeah. Talk about innovation and or design and still reproduce. And so if we're talking about equity, fam, we're talking about power. We're talking about equity of voice, equity of participation. Just three weeks ago, there was 165 different restrictive voting um, procedures put in place in 33 states. Today it's 43 states and it's 250 different um, restrictive measures to restrict folks from voting. What we're talking about, yo, is a history of shut up and dribble. And it's high time, if we're talking about quote creative leadership, innovative leadership, disruptive leadership, whatever the hell you're talking about, if, you're not, if your work is not fundamentally shifting power to the hands of the people who are closest to it, Y'all just run around in circles. And so in this work, I, and this is like, I have had a chance to probably learn about seven years of training with the Center for Adaptive Schools, um, which is part of that framework that Dr. Marion was um, laying down. Um, there's always a triple track. There's always like, what are you trying to get after? That is the goal. What is the processes? Those are the hows because those hows build capacity for the people that you're working with. And then there's always about the people and your relationship with them. And you can always flex with trying to get to the end goal or try to get the how of it or get to the people. But all of it is in service of transferring power to the hands of folks who have been disassociated from it. And so to me, I think right now um, that matters immensely has always mattered in this country. And when 
um, particularly communities who are farthest from opportunity, black, brown, indigenous folks of color, when they start like determining where they wanna go, that makes white folks uncomfortable. And they need to be uncomfortable. So that's yeah, one when we talk about creative leadership. It is shifting power, both political, economic, creative, spiritual, power into the hands of the people who have had it um, taken from them in some way or another. And we got folks on the ground doing that work right now. So to me, that's what creative leadership should be pointed to. Who are we serving? Yeah, I appreciate that, Caleb. And um, Janine, uh, I think you really kept that spirit alive with uh, your fellows this year. You have such a um, an interesting, talented, diverse uh, group of fellows that uh, I think that group really resonated with this, uh, the message of equity and justice, right? Yes, and I think that um, a question one of the fellows asked me in, an, in our, at our outset together is, do you think this is gonna be work where we're just trimming the hedges or are we gonna go in and really go get the weeds at the, the root level? And yeah. I said, what do you wanna do? And she's like, I'm tired of trimming the hedges. And so I think, you know, um, in the moment that we found ourselves in with COVID-19, I think uh, a lot of us never even met each other in person. We've been having these amazing yeah. Zoom calls in the same community, uh, but there's a real uh, desire to, I think, examine ourselves. And I think that we created the space to do that with uh, the, the guidance and quite frankly, the guidance and the expertise and the, of, of the people on this call that pushed me, that helped me kind of help create a space where I think we could push ourselves and each other. Um, and you know, it's not done. It's not like, wow, we, we came up with a prototype. <laughs> we figured something out. Like it's, it's, it's not really finished. It's a, it's an ongoing iterative, um, uh, invitation to keep, uh, doing the work better, to keep centering the voices yeah. that aren't at the table. And I think that, uh, you're right, Tom, like the, the people in this work who have stayed in this work with us, um, it's, it's been really, um, moving for everybody. So Eric and Caleb, um, I was reading the Unlocked uh, website today, and I found this quote that made me cheer out loud. Um, you guys know that I uh, just published uh, a book on difference making, trying to invite kids into doing work that matters. And I appreciate the sentiment, which is this isn't just the work for school leaders or system leaders. It's about inviting young people into doing work that matters to them and their community. And, and you said, um, education should be about positioning young people to leverage their talents, tastes, and interests to make meaningful contributions to the world. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. Eric, uh, is that the kind of work you're trying to do at Vita? Yeah, one, one of the other things we say is uh, that we're trying to tend to the soul of schools. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, this is all deeply emotional to us. Yeah. And so I, I know every educator in the world is always tired because they're always giving their best. But I think for some, there's an added layer of exhaustion from that really deep soulful work that we're trying yeah. to So I, I want to close just by inviting uh, all of you to, to share some headlines um, about the future of leadership, preparation, and development. Um, today, in most regions, 
the system's really broken. You know, it, somebody raises their hand and say, I want to be a leader. And then they go uh, get a degree and they get a certificate and shazam, they are one. Um, <laughs> and it's really not a very rich or thoughtful process. And just given the, the really thoughtful uh, dialogue that we've had about the challenges of leading schools and leading systems, I'd love to know what kinds of experiences uh, do you think people would benefit most from uh, to really prepare them to be uh, thoughtful school and community leaders? Uh, Dr. Smith, let me start with you. No, I appreciate that, Tom. And so I may be able to speak to the issue, but not really answer it specifically, because for me, um, just echoing on a few things that our colleagues have said here, like this is moral imperative work. Like yeah. this is we are dealing, like we are dealing with the lives of youth each and every day. And from my perspective, anyone who wants to step into the traditional leadership space of the K through 12 or post-secondary, we only have X amount of days, 170, 180 to get it right yeah. every year. And so we know that um, it's all about you know, how can we position ourselves to be in those equity seeking and learning focused cultures? Um, and so when I think about this work, it goes back to the racial equity adaptive leadership framework. It goes back to my initial conversations and collaboration with Janine and Nevada Succeeds. Before you can begin to attach leadership or your next steps or here are the tools or the resources, you have to have a deep understanding around leadership of self before you can yeah. focus leadership of others before you can focus on leadership of the extended community. And so as I think about leadership prep programs, I'm mindful of a talk that I heard many, many moons ago by Dr. Jeff Duncan Andrade that talks about schooling versus education. And so really understanding that and if we anchor that in the racial equity adaptive leadership framework, like you really have to understand and have a deep working knowledge of how you as a person are navigating in a space that is all about the concepts of permanence of racism, about whiteness as property, about counter storytelling, about the interest convergence of people and the critique of liberalism. So those are the big portions of the work that we deal with because in the absence of really having a deep understanding of what that looks like, how it shows up in your practice, how it impacts your habits of mind and how you live those out in your values or not, um, our leadership programs are just gonna continue to replicate the status quo with leaders who want to have the title, but who don't have the integrity, the voice or the actual skill set or the will to actually do the transformative work. Yeah, I appreciate that, Dr. Smith. That deep personal work and, and to your earlier point of understanding the context in a, in a deep and specific way. So Caleb, what, what would you add to that? My brother be dropping so much fire. Um, how might I like, okay, so a couple things. One is um, just thinking about um, MLK once said that all transformation starts within. And we can have all kinds of schools of leadership and we just create what we've always known oh. in the leaders. And so I think the work that Dr. Smith is engaged in that is about transformation of oneself. And what we're talking about really 
is what uh, Dr. Elamine, uh, Dr. Aliyah Elamin at Harvard Graduate School talks about, um, and others, including Jeff Duncan Andrade, that's about the ability to identify, challenge, critique, and build anew systems of oppression. And that's not just systems outside the window. We're talking about systems within the, the, the mirror too, like what you see in yourself and the stories, these dominant narratives that we have told ourselves, this country has told ourselves for a long time. I think about the work of Bell Hooks who wrote about uh, white supremacist patriarchy, um, capitalism <laughs> is what she talked about, right? And um, those, the, the, the future of this work is about not one and the other, it is both seeing yourself and the system and understanding that history presents an opportunity for healing if we can begin to identify our own icons, our own legends, our own folks who have walked in victory, our own cloud of witnesses who despite the hegemonic power of this country, we still here. So what are the lessons that we can learn from the Doris days, the Rabbi Joshua Heschel's, the uh, William Lloyd Garrison's, the David Walker's, like uh, the James Baldwin's. We've got a history of folks in this country. The question is, how do we support leadership in yes, developing adaptive um, um, practices and methods and mindsets, yes, with the tools and the maps, et cetera. But then there's also this question about, or this recognition that racism and injustice was designed from the very beginning. And as such, we think about racism, but we also need to talk about gender. We also need to talk about hegemonic power, neoliberalism, as a, a Dr. Smith was mentioning. These are elements to critique and to constantly build anew. And so I think I say that to say, we need multiple pathways by which we can develop individuals and groups of people who can, yes, lead, whatever the hell that means, but really can like understand the histories and the histories uh, from uh, past to present, can make recompense in the present, and can like um, create structures that are liberating, both internally within your relational agency with other folks and with systems and institutions that we're a part of. Like, that's the work. And there are organizations like that who are doing this kind of work. Sounds like Dr. Smith's work is one of those, but I think about Educolor, uh, Educolor of Rhode Island. Uh, they are doing similar work where they support like, um, they support like, not in a like um, a, a general graduate degree sort of way, but in these sort of set fellowships that allow folks to like explore place, identity, um, our own collective democratization of power, the decolonizing of yourself and the re-inhabitation of something that is much more liberated. So it's a, it's, it, there are layers to this work there are no simple answers, but I think when districts um, can recognize like where they need um, support and, and more leaders of color, I think there's multiple ways to do that. And it may not always be through traditional routes. Yeah. Eric, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't sound like 
things you might pick up in a few random uh, GSE courses. <laughs> Sounds like nothing. Hey, I to become a principal, I took a test. And the, it was like six essay questions. And it was all about how do you diffuse conflict amongst adults? And bam, I'm, um, you know, certified by the state of California. So I think I like both Marion and Caleb are way smarter. Like, I, I feel like I need to take pages and pages of notes. And I can just listen to them. I think like on a super like, applied level at the school level what i would talk about and i i think this is there's a lot of this lit from what they said laced into this but i think what we don't teach leaders is about the development of culture within an organization and so to get to everything that they were talking about i think we have to there's there's like skill in leading and developing culture and until we get people on the ground who are able to do that, then we don't get the vast change and some of the very high level, like things that we want to see happen actually happen at the ground level. So for me, when I'm, when I, if I had a chance to talk to any graduate school uppers up in the upper realm out there, it'd be like cultural or organizational culture and how you like really foster and the skills and the tools to develop that with people to get to where what Caleb and Marion are talking about. Thanks, Eric. Uh, Janine, it, it feels like you've tried hard in a, the Nevada Succeeds Fellowship to incorporate these big ideas to make it a thoughtful gathering place, a place where people could can build the sort of inner knowledge that Marion and Caleb talked about, the sort of social empathy that, uh, that Eric talked about. Um, what what do you see as next? What what would you like to most add to the experience that uh, that you've been able to create for folks? I'd like everybody to be able to spend more time with everybody on this call. Quite frankly, um, and do it in person, right? I, right. I mean, I mean, more intelligent, practical, yeah. uh, solution oriented. Um, soulful humans you will not find. <laughs> and I think to be able to create that, like to have that, um, that, that mentorship, that guidance, that model of leadership, you know, Dr. Smith brought Margaret Wheatley's work into our fellowship, the willingness to be disturbed. And I feel like if there's one mindset that is fundamental to this, it's being able to recognize that walking into that leadership role, which I mean, I have grown immensely in my own journey this year by interacting with, with all of these people and with the work that we've done in our fellowship. And I would just say that that work of willing to be disturbed um, oh. as a, is, there's nothing more significant. And, and the more that we recognize that when we are disturbed, that's when we're starting to be open to doing what's next and what's possible and, and significant for for young people and for each other and ourselves and our community, um, super powerful. Hey, we've been talking to Janine Collins, the executive director of Nevada Succeeds. Um, Janine, thanks for putting together a magical uh, conversation. Thanks also to Dr. Caleb Rashad from High Tech High and his partner in Unlocked, uh, Dr. Eric Shigala, and to the superintendent of Summit County Schools, Dr. Marion Smith. Thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast, all.
Thank you. Absolutely. And next time we need to cook and do this again. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Bring libation. Right. We get deep with it. <laughs> Thank you, Tommy. Appreciate you having us here. Thank you, Janine. Thank you. Thank you everyone for the opportunity. Thanks so much to our guests for joining us today. We appreciate their leadership in the space and can't wait to see the ripple effect of having such incredible fellows doing important work in education. We hope you enjoyed our three-episode Nevada Succeed Spotlight. If you missed the first two episodes, check them out on our feed. We'll be sure to put the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. This is Shani signing off.